All right. Well, it's Sunday, and there's three of us, and it's not because one of us is running behind this time. <laughs> it is actually just three of us today. Uh, no. Cam, Colin. Yeah. Of course, I'm Tyler. Uh, BJ's not here. He is, what's he doing? Indulging in a Rangers game today? Is that what it was? I can't even remember what he was no. doing. He's a, a friend of his is in town, I think. Ah, that's right. Oh, well. Anyways, um, while he is missed, he's not missing much today, I don't think. Well, actually, he is. There's a lot of news to talk about. I don't know that the conference is like one of those everybody's too worried about missing, but the news today is plentiful, so... I'm not going to waste any time. We're just going to go ahead and get right into it. That's a good win. There's a lot of people. It's like Woodstock, except everybody's got their clothes on. Personal foul. 69. Offense. He was giving them the business. These people don't give you. Love you, honey. Well... We're here once again, and um, so I did something last night. You might tell by the brand new shirt, the new wing panels in the background. I, I indulged in my usual happy time of uh, going to a racetrack last night, and I figured I would bring back some videos and tell you. I approve this message. Support your local dirt track, all right? But anyways... sound man there's nothing better more fun I will tell you. <laughs> Lovely sounds. None of those videos do justice to what it's actually like being there, um, being at a racetrack in general. Um, there's just something about it that is fundamental. Like I said, it's kind of my it's my happy place. It's my getaway from everything else. Like college football is great, but we do this as a goal to become a job. You know, racing is just a easy pastime that I can get into over the summer while I don't have college football to worry about or watch every Saturday. So it's, mm -hmm. I don't know. There, there's nothing like it. There's nothing more fun than being at your, being at my local dirt track. I don't know about you guys, oh, yeah. but uh, I mean, I know, I know college probably the, <laughs> the last yeah, one on this train, but yeah. I, 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 I was, but I mean, getting, cool. getting to go is different. Tyler froze, uh, but uh -oh. yes. Did I? Yeah. It's very different in You did for a bit. It, it's such a cool, unique experience to go in real life and definitely highly recommend going to any race, like whether it be NASCAR, Dirt, like Outlaw Show, whatever, like. Besides F1, because those tickets cost an arm and a leg. 
they do. But that's that's okay. Um, I, I just, you know, we do this. When we all have things to do that we do throughout our time, we will be bringing you as many videos or, or at least pictures of whatever we do. I mean, I know Colin and I both plan to have high school games on the list. I don't know if we're going to oh, yeah. hit any together, but, I mean, we're definitely going to be hitting high school football games throughout the fall. So, Hey, hey who knows? That could definitely Sunday. happen. We'll just have to see. Yeah. Uh, regardless, we're going to have that coverage in the fall for sure. Absolutely. At least around Ohio. <laughs> yeah. I anywhere else, I can't guarantee anything. But Ohio. But I'm going to have a hard time swinging somewhere else. But Yeah. If I if I get back to North Carolina, maybe I'll go to Charlotte and watch Jaden Davis play. I don't know. Um, anyway, besides that, um, Cam, I guess it's that time of the day. Let's uh, Let's get our stat of the day out here presented by Stathead. Cam, what do you got for us? Okay. I actually forgot until about five minutes before the show. So uh, still working on finding that while doing everything else. I I apologize about that. That is 100% on me. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> How the okay? Well, um, okay, we'll figure this out then. I suppose. Let's go ahead and just get in the news. We'll bring the stat of the day up here in just a little bit. Um, Tennessee got fined eight million dollars. They face a five-year probation. They have scholarship and visit limits. Apart from their already self-imposed scholarship limits. And they must vacate all wins in which involved players played in. Did the NCAA make the correct move here? Colin, I'll go to you first. Um, I, I think they did. So, number one, I have a belief that, A, just because there has been a past principle set, these Rules are kind of evolving and how the NCAA reacts is going to evolve over time. That's the number one thing. And the number two thing is I don't think these current players and coaches deserve to have postseason bans and stuff like that because of what a past administration did, a past uh, set of players did. And it was very few and far between. And hey, by the way, can you even blame the kids for accepting the money in the first place? 17-year-old kids getting recruited and they're given cash in McDonald's bags from Jeremy Pruitt's staff. It was a messy tenure. It always was. They were never even good. It was all for nothing. And Tennessee is starting to gain some momentum. There's no reason the NCAA should affect that momentum whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree with you. I think that this... This felt like the equivalent of the bull bands, but with a less current present day on field effect. It, it doesn't hurt the it doesn't hurt what's being put out, it doesn't hurt their ability to go compete for a national title because none of these kids are even still there currently, to my knowledge. And they it's a new it's a brand new regime. It's everything's different than what it was when this was initially the um 
a situation. I mean, plain and simple. I, I think that this is uh, this is as good as you're going to get. Like I said, the school does not deserve to go without punishment for said, you know, offenses. But at the same time, I feel like there's also no need for this to become a bull ban or, you know, uh, a, a really anything more than it was. I think this is pretty much spot on and what they should have done. And I hope this is the new way going forward as well. Yeah, I happen to agree on that front completely. So I'm glad we see eye to eye on this. Yeah. yeah. Any, any thoughts, Cam? No, I agree with you guys both completely. Like it's, I hope that it's a new day because quite frankly, we've seen a lot of times where there's this, there's this roster that's been built by, by not even the administration that caused this. And they're the ones getting punished. No one from that other roster is getting punished. And this would have been one of those situations where it's like the bull band, uh, would affect them versus the people who actually did the McDonald's bag of cash and whatnot. Yeah. You know, I want to go back to something that I believe I saw you say, Colin, in a group chat that we share, um, where you went back to the Ohio State Bowl band from 2012 that was completely beyond even what if they would have imposed this bull ban during the Luke Fickle year, it would have made way more sense than in 2012 to have taken it when all these guys were what juniors and seniors, all upperclassmen all were gone by this point for the most part. I mean, there may have been one or two left, but there were zero left. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't remember. But season, everybody involved was gone by that 2012. And season. you know, Jim Trestle was forced to resign, if I'm not mistaken. I I really vaguely remember this situation. But Jim Trestle was forced forced out. Yes. Luke Fickle comes in. Urban Meyer then comes in as the brand new head coach, brand new style, brand new team. I mean, this was a young team in 2011. The majority of people who were involved, like the Terrell Priors, uh, what was it, Devere Posey, Dan Heron couple of those yeah, guys. Yeah, those guys. Um, and, and they were all gone at this point. And it left the covered bear for Luke Fickle, a very young team. They go six and seven. And then you go into 2012. And this was, I don't even think anybody had them on the radar of 12 and 0. Everybody thought that they would be back to normal with Urban Meyer, but it might take a year or two. And they go 12 and 0. And this is, again, with nobody as the core compared to what it was just two years ago when this all started. I feel but, the same way here. Not, none of this core is still participating. So what they've done, I also don't agree with vacating wins, by the way. That's it, that's the one spot that I really just yeah, don't like. It doesn't I, matter to me because, like, all those games I I remember, plus, like, Tennessee doesn't really care. Well, yeah, I mean, those, no. But yeah, sure, like, they don't care about the three wins they had. With I, I'm sorry, that's probably wrong and rude. But, like, nobody cares about that. Just like you go back to – the LSU situation just a couple weeks ago, they had to vacate all those wins and it's like 37 wins for one player. 
Yeah, what kind of like like we're not going to remember they won yeah. those thirty seven. That games, was half right? a decade ago as well, by the way. Yeah, it just it doesn't make sense. I don't think an offensive lineman is making that big of a difference in a football game. Sorry, well, um, it, but and the other thing about it too is this just highlights the incompetency of the NCAA because all of these things that we talk about. Everybody's gone when these sanctions come down. USC, everybody was gone. SMU, even everybody was gone when that when that transpired right there. So you you can trace it all the way back to the eighties. You could trace yep. it back to the biggest one in two thousand and four, two thousand five. Now, with Miami, at least there was involvement with the entire athletic department letting. Nevin Shapiro be involved. But that's the only example of something that I feel like these postseason bans and stuff like that were somewhat just. And even then, this was at the tail end when Nevin Shapiro was getting arrested and all this stuff. And that was the beginning of Al Golden's tenure, if I'm correct on that, right? At yeah. Miami. Yeah. Yeah. It takes the NCAA forever to make a decision and make an investigation. It's mm-hmm. not that hard. You get an answer or not. Okay, run with it and make sure that you punish the people who actually well, committed. And it, and, it, and it just like earlier this spring, or yeah, just in the spring when we were discussing Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan investigation over allegedly buying what burgers at a restaurant <laughs> for recruits. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I just it's I don't get it, and, and I'm sure we'll hear in a, a year or two McDouble. about what it what will be, but it, it's just yeah, I don't know. We'll, Vacated wins is one of the most ridiculous it's, things. I do agree with the fine, and I do agree with the probation period at least, and I also agree with the show cost for Jeremy Pruitt for the next mm-hmm. handful of years. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like those things, I agree with. I just don't. I, some of these things are just kind of pointless. Uh, scholarship limits for a head coach that didn't have anything to do with it. I don't know that I agree with that. Again, just you know, it is what it is. Um, Northwestern has found their interim head coach. They're not going to be going with a brand new hire this year. They're going to go and promote defensive coordinator David Braun to be their interim head coach. And I think that's a good move for the time being. Obviously, it's so late in the offseason. You really don't want to just bring somebody brand new in and, and have um, have to reset, basically, with a month to go before the season. So. This is probably the right move. I wondered what it would be, but I'm sure they're going to be calling throughout the season, getting interviews lined up, and they will have a head coach by probably November. They'll probably be one of the first teams to hire a new head coach, if I were to guess, since they've had so long to look. And West Virginia doesn't yeah. have an athletic department that you know knows what they're doing right now, <laughs> and that has part to do with it. But, <laughs> I mean... Hey, I- can, I, can I sidetrack this conversation just for a second? Yes. Neil Brown's yeah. comments at Big 12 Media Days. We'll beat Penn State by two touchdowns. Really? <laughs> oh my god. No if way. they do that, I completely if they forgot do that, about I swear. That. I, I swear if they do that, man, sorry, that not to <laughs> I just yeah. I just thought it was funny. If they, so. if they do that, that'll that'll be shocking, first of all. Second of all. Anyways, back happen. to this. I mean, <laughs> do do you guys think this is this is correct for Northwestern? I mean for the yeah. time. Yeah. And yeah. I also like think that if you're trying to maintain the type of momentum that you think you might have had, 
I think that they're not going to be a great team. They're going to play inspired football. They have some talent on both sides of the ball. They have the best quarterback that they've had since Clayton Thorson that went to the Big Ten Championship five years ago. I don't think they're even going to make a bowl game at this point. I think they're too much of a mess. They might pop off a win or two, and they might play some emotional ball because of Coach Coach Fitzgerald. And at the end of the day, Pat Fitzgerald to me seemed like a guy that wasn't necessarily fully invested into the X's and O's, but rather he was that CEO of that Northwestern program. And if his impact for this year has already been made and they just have somebody to steady the ship, then let's see it. Let, I and mean, who's that's to all say I that David Braun isn't calling exactly. up Fitzgerald, anyways? So, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I was gonna say, to be real, let, most likely Fitzgerald will still definitely be involved with the team because, probably. to an Braun extent, will, maybe. But Braun I mean, I will look, at least lean on him a little. But. And you're going from defensive-minded head coach to defensive-minded head coach. I mean, there's got to be something to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, Pat Fitzgerald's more of a Kind of just the guy that everybody goes to for, you know, typical advice, things like that, and and is really good at just keeping the team mentally focused. He's the I team dad. Could be, but what a better of a title to be one than a yeah. head coach, I suppose, right? Yeah. Um. All right. The ACC has made the move that I. Um... Okay. Can we actually correct that, please? Um, the ACC has decided to work with the CW. Mm-hmm. All those jokes about the Pac-12 doing it, and here is the ACC using the CW. 50 college basketball and college football games. I don't know if that's combined or 50 of each. I don't know that they play. Well, they play 50, I guess, football games. So maybe it's 50 of both. I'm not sure. But, I mean, good for them, I suppose. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what? What do you? I don't know what to say about this because I thought the ACC already had everything they I, 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 wanted in the mm-hmm. ESPN deal that they have already. No, I, I mean I like this because a lot of people get the CW on their local local networks. Mm-hmm. Oh right? yeah, so yeah. it's very easily accessible, mm-hmm. and they have the contract still with ESPN. So this is this is a lot better than putting on a lot more games on the ACC network plus at the end of the day. Uh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And U- using a little bit more there. Yeah. They're still going to be on ESPN. They're, they're oh, We're not going to get Clemson versus Florida state in 2026 on the CW. That's no. And I, I know that I just was like, in my mind, the ESPN, the ACC network and the ESPN plus were kind of what they were going for. And th- this just hit me as a surprise. I yeah. was not expecting this deal to even It come. definitely like, kind of came out of left field. Yeah. Especially. I mean, what do you what yeah. do you say about that? And and yeah, it's you're absolutely right. But now it, either the Pac twelve is also looking here at CW or uh, you know, PBS. <laughs> PBS <laughs> local, the local channel seven. Some coaching network for me. Um but hey, I, I think this does open the door for the Pac-12 to potentially put their foot in the door here if they haven't already. I'm sure they already have. I mean, they, they've got to be having conversations with as many people as possible if they're still refusing to 
do anything. I mean, it's been months, and we yeah. keep getting told, "Oh, the end of this month, the end of this month, the end of this it's month," and then it just, it's and then it soon. just keeps not yeah. happening. So, I don't know. I, I think it it definitely opens the door for the Pac-12, and I don't mean to bring this on to the Pac-12, but the ACC is what it is, and it's not going anywhere, at least for the time being. So, it. Has to become a Pac-12 conversation because we don't know anything about the Pac-12. So, no, not at all. You know, I don't think anybody really does. And the other, I, I will say the one thing that's going to blow through media days and not even, (laughs) not even know, really. No, I mean, yeah, it's it's a mess, and we've all known that for a while. But the one thing that I'm looking forward to seeing is the development of the CW broadcast because it's never necessarily been that high quality of a broadcast in the past. Just because they haven't had the been money, an and this brand is, ESPN, as far yeah. as I knew, with uh, yeah, with the Mac games that. that they had. Well, I'm just saying, like their scoreboard was like ESPN branded, but not really. <laughs> it uh, was just, it was such a mess when I like that's it, the last CW ESPN game I remember. Light. Yeah, now, yeah, uh, yeah it, well, Conference USA was on there for a while too. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Either way, like I, I definitely think this. Thanks is for plugging that in. Actually, they're on stadium, I think, maybe. They're on stadium now. They're on stadium now, but either way, it's definitely a win-win because, you know, the the CW, we've been seeing it for years. It's been struggling outside of the one one thing that we've been to death. Yeah. Their DC work. Yeah. Yeah, um, they've been doing well with it. Is it DC or are they Marvel? Which one? Which one? DC. Do they do? Okay. The Arrow, so, yeah, Arrow versus DC. Well, see, I don't know that because I'm not a nerd like you. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm out of here. See you guys. Never. Uh, uh, no. I, um, I, I stopped. What are you watching. a DC fan? I mean, I'm not. I'm, I'm not a superhero. I, I, I am a Mar- I'm a Marvel fan, but if you watch DC, though. I'm more of a DC guy, actually, ironically, but it's because the comics are better. But I I stopped watching. Don't read comments. I stopped watching the Arrowverse. (laughs) I definitely don't read comments. Oh, no. I I certainly don't read comments. But I don't. But I stopped watching the Arrowverse after season two when it turned into a soap opera. So. Oh, well. That's probably a good time to stop. <laughs> the the SEC, speaking of good times to well, not really a good times to stop, they're gonna continue with Greg Sankey as their commissioner. He's extended through 2028. Um so here's a question I've always had, because I really don't know. I've never looked this hard into it. I don't care about the intricacies of the group running the conference. I just care about the on field product. Who determines this? Like, does Greg Sankey just decide, yeah, I'm gonna give myself an extension? Or is there is there a collective of people that like vote on yeah. this? I, I really don't know. I, I, I guess. Yeah. I mean that's what I would go with, but yeah, either the either the president or probably both the athletic director and the um Yeah, I, I just don't know university. because yeah. that's something I've ne- always wondered because I never paid attention. Like I remember when I think I was a kid when Jim Delaney got his initial extension that ran him through until Kevin Warren came in. And then Kevin Warren comes in, ruins things, and leaves. Um, he did good work sometimes. Not incomplete, really. Incomplete work. Um, Inconsistent. And then, 
No, it was incomplete. Um, and then now with, um, I don't even know how to say his name. Um, Tony Petiti? Yeah, sorry. That wasn't even who I was thinking of. I almost said Klyavkov from Pac-12, and that's oh. not right. Um, yeah, oh, that's there. even worse. Um, hey, he was dealt a very bad hand, I will say. Oh, yeah. He's not the problem. Not I really don't great, think it's him. He's not doing a great job to right the ship. But I, I was going to say, he's getting close to the hold my beer type of a moment though yeah that's the one spot i don't get like i know how the inner workings of universities go and i I pay closer attention to that because obviously that's how head coaches are hired but when it comes to commissioners i've never paid attention so i was curious (laughs) maybe maybe we taught you something if you're listening (laughs) i mean bottom line to me is this the fact that we are in this situation with Greg Sankey is great because he is so good for college football. He has the sport going in a positive direction as far as making his own impact the most that he can. And he's not, you know, he's not necessarily that influential when it comes to the NCAA coming up with their stupid rules and rulings, but he's very, very important when it comes to, challenging these conferences to become better challenging mm-hmm. the you know national landscape to either change or we're going to change it and the bottom line is this west coast football dead to college football in the playoff era right you're right bringing in usc yeah. in and ucla to the big 10 was a direct response to texas and oklahoma being added to the sec that's mm-hmm. going to liven up the west coast a little bit and that's just the truth I mean, think about it. We haven't had a national championship winner east of the Mississippi, or sorry, west of the Mississippi, in any wrong s- direction. Yeah, I know. In any main sport, football, men's basketball, and baseball, probably, I can't even remember the last one. I think baseball was the last one that had one. Yeah, baseball was the last one in general that would have had one. But even then, that's been yeah. a while because it's been oh, dominated Baylor. by the SEC. Baylor basketball, I guess they were the Baylor first. Baylor basketball. The most, but yeah, if you're just talking right. about football, we haven't had that since, what, 05? Yeah. I mean, with, with Texas? Yeah, probably. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's been a mess for a little while, and it got amplified in the playoff era for sure. Yeah, it's been – it's been interesting. I, I'm it's curious to see something. what it, what happens. And then, again, we've talked about it at nauseam, but what are the next moves? Who's next? It's coming. We know it is. The longer this Pac-12 deal waits, the more I think something's falling apart in the Pac-12 itself. Yeah. Um, speaking of the Pac-12, um, sorry, speaking of, uh, well, speaking of the Pac-12 in a sense, San Diego State is going to be allowed to stick in the Mountain West till 2025. I didn't put that on the show sheet, but it popped up in my brain because uh, I saw it right before we started. Um, interesting. At, le- at least they have out. a home. Yeah, It'll work out. They have too strong yeah. of athletics to just be abandoned and left completely oh, yeah. out of here. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And then lastly, which I think this will be – Probably the best conversation. I don't know. The Tennessee one was good, but th- this is going to be a fun com- conversation. Ryan Day calls for common sense when enforcing targeting. Um, Colin. <laughs> I mean, so, like, Joel Klatt asking about it, of course, has 
he said it, it's maybe a little bit too soon, and I'm not really talking about specifically the hit on Marvin Harrison Jr. And I, I'm not one to necessarily argue that that ruling on that play because the rule itself is not super clear at all. Okay, mm-hmm. helmet to helmet contact happened, but. I mean, but then we're like saying sometimes that if it's incidental, then it's fine. But mm-hmm. other times it's just like, oh, he's leading with the crown of the helmet. He put his head down, whatever. He hit him in the chest, but he put his head down. Well, mm-hmm. it's just so inconsistent how it's being called. We are reviewing it every single time. And then my biggest issue with it, too, is when a football player is trying to make a football play mm-hmm. as a defensive player and they get kicked out of the game. They're not doing anything unnecessary. They're can not I, doing anything wrong. Can I, can I share one of my favorite plays that I think should have never been a penalty? Major yeah. right in the BCS National Championship game. I think they I think they called defenseless player on that one, which I mean I don't I, I don't remember. I know they threw a penalty flag for it though. I mean that was one of the biggest hits in college football. Everybody talks about that one. Like, football plays are football plays. The The sport is naturally violent is the issue. And people are trying to get away from that. But you're, it, by doing that, you're getting away from the game itself. The, the game is going to have big hits. People are going to have injuries. I mean, head injuries are common in any sport, really. I mean, hell, it, I, I just got done spending the whole open of the show talking about racing. It's it's just as bad as, as football is. It may be even worse at this very moment. And yeah, but but nobody uh, people are just looking for ways to make things safer. Equipment wise, they're not changing the sport. Truthfully, yeah, I, I don't see I don't see a need for it here with targeting. Yeah. I think there's there's a difference between egregiously trying to take somebody out of the game and just making a play on the ball or on the person who has the ball. And I think that's where this comes from is, you know, I don't look at the Marvin Harrison play as targeting, but I don't look at a lot of plays like that as targeting because they're just two guys. There's a guy going for the ball and there's a guy trying to make sure he does not get the ball. Plain and simple. It wasn't an egregious hit. It wasn't intentionally a helmet to helmet hit. So therefore I don't see that as a targeting play. But I but for me to say that, I don't see other plays that are similar as targeting. And the other thing about it too is again, whether you think it should be should have been mm-hmm. targeting or not, zero chance Javon Bullard should have been ejected for trying to save a yeah. touchdown right there. Absolutely. Zero Absolutely. chance. But yet mm-hmm. if that ruling goes the other way, guess what? Javon Bullard doesn't play the rest of that game. And guess what? Mm-hmm. Let's say Georgia happens to win without Javon Buller with that call. I don't think they do if that call goes Ohio State's way because that's a touchdown, extends the lead to three touchdowns, which would have been mag- just ginormous. That would have made it 42-24 to 24 instead of 38-24. to 24. That's a big mm-hmm. deal. Make it three possessions right there. But – Let's say that Georgia goes on to win that game and Javon Buller gets that get, gets called on that. He's missing the first half of TCU. He had a pick against TCU right there yeah. in the first half. I believe it was first half at least. Yeah. I mean, it, it punishment it, that span, it, yeah. and even in this regard, punishment that spans beyond 
the game it happens in is un- unnecessary. Unless yeah. it is absolutely egregious. Like, I don't even want to use this example, but unless it's literally like Miles Garrett trying to beat somebody with the helmet. Yeah. I mean, I don't see a targeting penalty, should that be called, being something that takes somebody out of the next game. They didn't do anything in the next game. But let them make that mistake in the next game. They, they already know. They got taken out of well over a half of football. And unless they do something egregious at the end of a game, say it's just classless, you know, two minutes ago and you take out the opposing team's quarterback, I mean, that's a time for looking into a harsher circumstance. But for something as simple, again, as as that play, where you're just trying to defend a touchdown, I I don't think that's necessary. Mm -hmm. So to continue to go on with this rule as it is and continue to make this a rule that needs to be by the book, I mean, let's be real, Colin. You don't think... Sean Wade's hit on Trevor Lawrence back in I'm the not even playoff. Use a, I'm no, not even no, no, no. I'm, I'm not. Take, I'm, not I'm not. I'm just saying. I'm talking to you. Just let me let me have this conversation with you for a minute. You think that was target? You think that was not targeting? No, correct? it was not. No, one hundred percent. And no. what have I told you multiple times? I don't think it's targeting either. But by the rule, yeah, the way it's written. No, by the rule. By and this is the problem with the rule. By the way, the rule was written. It's not targeting because of what the defender did. The offensive player lowered his helmet, but because of that head-to-head contact, then they have the yeah. white but, flag. That but did he lower his? He- but did no, he lower himself he due he to the contact Trevor Lawrence with Chase Young? Him, he was standing up here like this, right? I'm going to use an example that's better though. The Kayvon okay. Thibodeau one against Stanford that lost in that game. They would have been mm-hmm. right in playoff contention in that Pac-12 championship. You know, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you take a look at that one that ex- moved the chains. They scored on the last play of the game to, to send it to OT, and Kayvon Thibodeau misses the first half of the next game. He misses that overtime, and he's an impactful player like that. He literally hit him. It was like side to side, and their helmets just happened to collide when mm-hmm. they hit each other, right? Yeah. And we, we changed the game because of a technicality. We take him out, call the penalty. I don't really care. Have your judgment about that. The ejection is the worst thing ever. There's egregious ones. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if a quarterback is sliding and you're just going down, like I remember so, one between Louisville and Ole Miss where he decked Jackson Dart, lowered his helmet as mm-hmm. Dart was sliding. Yeah. Sure. Kick him out of the game. No. Don't do it to the Sean Waits. Don't do it to the uh, Kayvon Thibodeaus and many yeah. more. So yeah. and how about I'll be- can I propose this? I, I don't want to go basketball here, but targeting one, targeting two. You know? Flagrant one, flagrant yeah. two. That's my thought, too. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, one that's incidental contact and then one that you can clearly tell where there is that launch that they u- like to use so much. There's that leading with the crown of the helmet for helmet-to-helmet contact. Those are one thing. When you And then there's the incidentals, like the Sean Wade. I, again, I don't think – I have a different perspective. I think – Chase Young had a hold of Trevor Lawrence, and he was going down as to not take a bigger hit and then got hit anyways. And therefore, I could see where they called it. That's all I ever said about it. So that and those incidental plays like that should just be that 15-yard penalty if you so choose. And then and then you move on. Everybody stays in the game. But it, the, the targeting, too, in this way. sense. 
would Young be didn't the get to, Young did not get to Trevor Lawrence until after the hit. The, okay. the initial hit was was Sean Wade. And again, this is something that happened, you know, four years ago. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's one of the more famous examples of this mm-hmm. because it was on the biggest stage. James Skalski yeah. had a similar thing in the uh, – so against Clemson in the national championship game. It's just – now, granted, Skelsky was, you know, somebody who decided to put his head down way too much. But mm-hmm. I think we get the point with this. It's a messed up rule. There's too much debate yeah. behind it. There's too much that you can argue. And there's no other rule that you can go to. And if it's a face mask, it's a face mask. If there's holding, there's holding, right? You can see the handful. And there's of- even a reason they they changed the 5 and 15 yard and just made it a 15 mm-hmm. yard yeah. penalty. I mean, they, yeah. but. For this, I think there's definitely a reason to have two different levels mm-hmm. of this penalty. Yeah, and, and I, I will say I, the person on this show <coughs> who is the most defensive-minded of all of us, like I tend to be more of a defensive guy, and I will say it has changed a lot for the better. Targeting has. Like, we're seeing a lot less of the egregious ones. However, I will also counter with sometimes it feels like some of the more egregious hits that are like, oh, that's targeting. Like, they review it or they don't call it initially. And it's just like, that's what you were trying to get out. But because the rule is so technical as Mm -hmm. it stands right now, that hit is allowed. Yeah. But this small little ticky tack play that like, for instance, the one in the national, in the national semifinals between Georgia and Ohio state, like that one gets called initially. Like it, right. It's dumb. Like overall. And I definitely, I, I will say, I don't mind calling it. Yeah. So this is always reviewed. I don't mind calling it and then bringing it back. Mm-hmm. Rather than trying to enforce it post play, I don't know. Yeah, it's that part's weird. I, I don't like that they can just radio down and be like, "Hey, maybe we should take a look at this." No, either you call it on the field and then you review it and overturn it, or you don't call it at all. Yeah, I agree. Bottom and you line. don't need to review every single one. Take like I think it's can... worth reviewing, especially if you're gonna, especially if they do ever decide to divide it into the two, because you definitely need to find that specific thing that makes it one or the other but otherwise again absolutely agree we'll move on and discuss recruiting really quickly um only because there's one thing that was really worth discussing and it was five-star wide receiver jojo trader deciding to go to miami florida over ohio state a south florida kid everybody expected everybody was talking about ohio state with this kid but then he decides miami i don't know were they were they just talking about this i mean he this is don't correct me if I'm wrong because I, I did not look at much other than what I saw on the athletic and I knew that it was worth talking about. He he is the um he, he's a teammate with a kid that's committed so to OSU, right? Jeremiah Smith two okay. overall player yeah. in the class. And they are teammates. And is that where that connection has come were, from? Yeah, with with Ohio State. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, he liked Ohio State. He was definitely a guy that Ohio State wanted, mm-hmm. but Ohio State wasn't sure because he plays both sides of the ball. 
And Ohio yeah. State was like, he's a really good receiver. He's also a really good DB. We don't really know what, what we want from him because we already got these two five-star kids. We are going after McClellan as well to, to really bolster that, that wide receiver room. And it's like, if we take Jojo trader, then that might be a little bit of a flyer kind of, because mm-hmm. we don't know what he's going to be. And that was the part where Jojo traders, like, I want to play receiver number one. And he's a really good one too. I don't think this is like a Lorenzo styles thing where he goes and tries receiver ends up like being good, but not great. Like, I think he mm-hmm. could be a really good receiver. I think he could be wide receiver one at Miami. He's not better than Jeremiah Smith. He's not better than Mylon Graham. And he's probably not better than Jeremiah McClellan. So when you're talking about the receivers Ohio State's trying to get, I never once expected to get JoJo Trader. The only thing that I ever worried about when it came to JoJo Trader is, do we have to get him to maintain Jeremiah Smith, who is an absolute freak? The more I I found out, the more I I feel like they're not a package deal. But there is a chance they're a package deal. And there is a chance that Jeremiah Smith does flip to Miami. He's not going anywhere else, though, but Miami or Ohio State, Jeremiah Smith. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. That's that's why I asked you because, I again, I haven't seen a lot on – all I see is, like, the little bits that I, I catch here and there, and I just continuously looked at this kid and was like, okay, so I know Ohio State, Miami, and those are, like, the two places people are projecting. But, of course, when it's not a Wilt Fong projection, I really don't pay too much attention to it. I just see – the Ohio state recruiting guys and the Miami recruiting guys, both putting crystal balls on themselves. So, yeah, but I mean, that's a good pickup for crystal ball in Miami. I mean, they're doing a really good job. This is not a team that's, they may not be good this year. They may not be ACC contenders this year, but I, I do believe that next year could have a really good possibility. I mean, they don't have the best class in the world right now, but I mean, they have some talent coming in. They they added Marquise Lightfoot, who was, again, a guy I never expected, another guy between Ohio State and Miami I never expected to go to Ohio State, but Lightfoot was more likely to, than Trader to me. Does it, does it feel like these recruiting battles are trying to like rekindle a rivalry between Ohio State and Miami? I felt that way with Miami and Florida, personally. Like, I, I feel well, yeah, like but I'm just a huge... Yeah. A recruiting rivalry between Miami and Florida right now, and Florida State's just sitting back and watching, and yeah, that's what's I'm, scary about it. I'm just looking at it, and I'm like, Miami and Ohio State keep getting like put on these kids' lists at the same time, and 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 or even Crystal Ball, like in this scenario, mm-hmm. and it just feels like that this recruiting battle is a way for them to be like, you know what, we should play each other again <laughs> because it's been <laughs> over a decade and. We got to rekindle something. So I don't. Well, know. hey, I feel like we're we're nationally relevant. Miami just needs to get back up there. I think <laughs> so. I mean, it, and I think they're on their way. I really do Maybe. believe that Mario Cristobal oh, yeah. got them in the right direction. I don't know that they'll be national championship contenders at any point, especially but on the recruiting path. Though, like Miami's, they could at least be a playoff ways. team, especially with the expanded playoff. And that part will sell at some point. I, I truly believe that. Yeah. I don't know what all you have for recruiting rundown. Do you have anything else or no? No, just just that one. That was kind of the biggest story I'd seen. Well, that's so how far. Michigan got a commitment, but how about the day that Arkansas had on, I think it was Friday, they got two four-star players, including a top 50 cornerback over Texas and TCU in Selman Bridges. He's a really good player, needs mm-hmm. to put on some weight. He's a little bit of a developmental kid, definitely really like lanky, though. 
No. Um, he's going to be a really good player when he adds, like, say, 20 pounds mm-hmm. at, with some weight training. And then they added a, a bull of a running back, 6'1", 230, Braylon Russell. From, from in-state, he's an in-state kid. Mm-hmm. These two pickups for Arkansas now, that's really important because their secondary the last couple of years has really struggled, and they need elite secondary players. Yeah, I think that I think they're helping the Jalen Catalans back this year and healthy. He's he transferred. Oh, did I miss that? Are yeah, he transferred to TCU. Mm-hmm. You gotta be kidding me! How did I miss that? Okay, well, anyways, TCU, um, right? I think it was TCU. Or I don't know. Texas? I, again, Texas, I didn't know. Texas. Oh, Texas. interesting. I thought he yeah. came back. Okay, well, never mind. Ignore oh, what I was Catalan. about to say. BJ Catalan went to TCU. <laughs> yeah. Well, Silly me. Ignore that comment. Um, yeah, never mind then. <laughs> I will leave but, that I alone. mean, their secondary we'll was one of the worst in America. And I feel like it was solely because Jalen Catalan went down last year. I mean, Dwight that's McLaughlin what I was about to say. Like, if you, And I do think McLaughlin is going to have another good year. Yeah. It's just... The rest of their it's hard to explain, though. man. It's like it's like I feel about I, Colorado potentially, especially if Travis Hunter specifically on defense. They're going to attack Cormani McLean, and his numbers may not be great because he's a true freshman, but I still think he's going to have a good year. He's just going to look bad because he's targeted over Hunter, or it could be the other way around. Maybe McLean becomes a shutdown guy, or and here's the real kicker: <laughs> Colorado becomes pretty solid in the secondary and can actually stop a nosebleed and not give up 45 points a game. I mean, maybe. Weirder things have happened. Um, <laughs> all right. Yeah, I'm th- thank you for that, by the way. that's This yeah. is what I re- this is what I ask for in the recruiting part, because I don't always catch everything. I look, I scroll Twitter, but now that uh, Mr. Elon has decided to impose a reading limit, <laughs> I don't always get to what I need to, so... <laughs> Interesting. Maybe I'll... Oh, well. Um, Hayes Fawcett can only get me so far, I suppose. All right. Time. Do what? Do you want me to take the <laughs> stat of the day, day really quickly? Oh, yes. Yes, I would like that if you have it. All right. I do, actually, now. Um, Thank you. Again, I apologize entirely on me. Um, but anyways... In the next year or two, we could see a new record for career um, completion percentage. Depends upon if Will Rogers stays the course. Will Rogers is the current overall leader in career passing. career Career passing completion percentage at 70.7 as of right now. And the next closest person is Colt Brennan at 70.4. Um, and the one who's current, who's the closest, is Spencer Rattler at 68.4. Yeah, you so, wouldn't believe that one. <laughs> yeah, no. Like, I wow. saw that the next closest active one was was All those interceptions and that incompletion and like, number, and that's that's where you get hurt. Um, wow. Um, yeah, so that'll be intriguing to see. That's cool. Especially since he's a junior this year and could easily declare and be one of the top half quarterbacks this year, in my opinion. Okay, so 
so what is the stat exactly? Because I it's career completion percentage. And he could be the leader, or he is currently the career he leader. He is currently the career leader. But since he's still got at least one more year that he needs to play, I added that caveat because, I mean, I don't want to count the chickens before they hatch. Yeah. But right. this is a record that has, stayed, okay. has stood since 2007. Yeah. So that's so, a huge one. Should Will Rogers be a first round quarterback? No. No. I I love Will Rogers, so. but no. Mm-hmm. Do you think somebody might take a risk? I would I wouldn't be surprised if somebody I'd like takes to see a somebody risk, take but, He doesn't have the NFL tools it, that people are gonna fall in love with. It's going to be a guy that if it's an off the radar guy, it's going to be a guy that fits that NFL mold, you know. And yeah. that's just not him. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, we also don't know because we've only seen him in the Mike Leach offense. Yeah. We haven't seen, we, we haven't seen, seen what it's going to be this year. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Thank you for mm-hmm. that, Cam. As always, uh, next time we'll have it at the beginning of the show where it belongs. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now uh, we will officially go ahead and get into the Conference USA season preview, and I have made a list, and I have it sitting beside me. Well, actually, I have it sitting on the screen beside you guys of how I'm going to do this because I we, we did something last week, but it, it flowed a little weird because I didn't have things that I wanted uh, in this conversation. Um, so now I have it all set up, and we're going to go ahead and get started. So first off, the Conference USA, which let me just go ahead and pull out my trusty notes that I wrote in my magazine because I do that because I'm weird. Um, let me, oh, here we go. Nope. That's American big 12. I apologize. This was my fault for putting these behind. Okay. So in 2022 conference USA had five, six bowl teams. Uh, because Rice got in five and seven and ended up losing. Um, but besides that, they had five, sorry, six bowl teams last year in 2022. Yep. Uh, the majority of those bowl teams are now gone mm-hmm. to yeah. the American Athletic Conference. They welcome in a bunch of new members, uh, including Liberty, who finally joins after their stint as an independent. They welcome New Mexico State after their stint as, I believe, an independent as well uh, yep. after after their time in the WAC. And then they also welcome Jacksonville State and Sam Houston as the two FCS acquisitions. And then not only that, uh, to go ahead a little bit, they also will welcome Kennesaw State next year. So they're going to yeah. be a 10-team conference in 2024. But for the time being... They are kind of just, I won't say in a holding period, because they're definitely adding and they're definitely trying to get better. But it just feels like this conference, no matter what they do, it's not really, it's kind of like, well, the MAC hasn't done anything. The Conference USA is actually trying to do things, and it just doesn't seem like they're really adding a whole lot of talent. I don't know if anybody agrees with that sentiment or not, but. I will say 
we've seen Jacksonville State State make a concerted effort to improve the program. They're probably going to struggle year one. I didn't. But I mean, Sam Houston is a really good program. Houston State is a fantastic program. I know what they are. I know what they're fantastic. I know what their histories are. Yeah. Tell me what that brings to the FCS level or the FBS level, though. I think uh, I, because I don't know. I think Sam Houston State could be very good in this conference. I, Jacksonville State's a team that's upset FBS teams mm-hmm. in the past. I'm not oblivious to that. But what makes this a team or a conference as a whole that could be the next New Year's Six contender on a yearly basis? I mean, that's what they're going for. I, you know that's yeah. what they're trying to do. Yeah. But what are they doing that's putting them in that conversation? I mean, adding Sam Houston is – Adding a team that has some sort of resource to be able to develop. They invested their football program at a really high level. They've won a lot at a high level um, in the sport, and now they're jumping, trying to win at a higher level. And you add in Sam Houston. You add in Kennesaw State, who has never had the potential at the FCS level. But given that they are right, right in the Atlanta metro area, those are two areas that, as a G5, you can find diamonds in the rough. You can find local kids, and you can build a really, really good team and a really, really good program based on that. I will say, Kennesaw State's coming off of their best year in school history last yeah. year with their playoff appearance and, and a deep run, too, if I'm not mistaken. So, Kennesaw State's, Kennesaw State's not in a bad spot, and I'm not saying that these FCS risers are, but I'm talking about UTEP, Louisiana Tech, FIU, Middle Tennessee. I I don't look at these programs and think, and that doesn't mean they can't get there, but I don't look at them and think, yeah, one of these is going to compete for a New Year's Six spot. Liberty, the way they've started, I think could. Western Kentucky, the way they've been really over the last 10 years, I think could find that potential. New Mexico State, even with Jerry Kill lately has been much improved. I mean, much improved. I'm not saying they're a New Year's Six contender because I really don't believe that, but much improved. Uh, Sam Houston State, is it State still? Sam Houston, either way. Yeah, it's Sam Houston State. State. I just call them Sam Houston. Well, they're written down as Sam Houston everywhere I look, so I don't even know anymore. But they, It's um, like Bowling Green. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, They come up, and I think they're the – easily going to be that they're in the best recruiting area. I mean, if, if Western Kentucky is doing what they're doing, same Houston state's going to be there. That's for sure. Um, and I'm really excited for Kennesaw state. I, I really am. I think that's going to be a huge, we're, we're going to look back on that in 10 years and be like, damn, that was actually a really good ad. Like it was a weird out of place ad in some people's eyes, but it, it's going to look really good. To avoid all of that conversation, I'm just going to discuss some of the things that the Athlon magazine has for the Conference USA, if you guys don't mind. Um, it starts with Western Kentucky and Liberty as their conference championship matchup with Western Kentucky winning. Um, it has Sam Houston in last in the conference at 3-9. and nine, And it has four bowl projections for the conference, including Middle Tennessee, Liberty, New Mexico State, and Western Kentucky. Um, So with that being said and being done, I'm going to start. Who do you guys think will be the worst team in 2023 in the Conference USA? We'll get the bad news out of the way first. 
FIU. Agreed. I actually have Jacksonville State as the worst. <laughs> That's fair. Any uh, any reason in particular? I think they're going to be the one of the two that that struggles more this year. I do think that they're set up well long term, but last year they didn't really have a great recruiting class. Um, they 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 had a bit more on the field success, but it seemed like they were doing less to build for the future than Sam Houston State was. Like I. I think Sam Houston State's actually going to be solid in this conference in year one, despite what Athlon may think. Like, I, I just, I I'm really know. stunned I need, at that. Yeah, yeah, I need to see Jacksonville State on the field at the FBS level. Yeah. I'm not quite as sold on it out of the gate, but Rich Rodriguez is a fantastic coach. Outside of his stop at Michigan, will you quit? I, no. And I, I do think that that's a like. I think that they will improve, but I just, I don't have them competing year one. Um. Fair enough. Player of the year candidate, and I will go ahead and and start this. One. I'm going to go with Keegan Shoemaker, quarterback at Sam Houston, to counter that one. Cam, I'll let you. I'm going. I'm going off the beaten path. I know who everybody might want to say here, but yeah, I'll take the obvious one then. Austin Reed. Yeah, he's he's put up insane numbers so far, and I don't see why this year will be any different. Colin. Yeah, um, he's been really good. He put up a lot of numbers in the system and. I think he has to be the universal favorite when it comes to uh, when it just comes to being the conference player of the year. Now there are some dark horses you can get to. My thing about it though, is I still don't think that you can really match the numbers that Austin Reed is going to have. So that's just, I, I have to go with Austin Reed. I can't go with anybody else. No, that's totally fair. Now, if we do go dark horses, cause I'm, you knew that question was coming. Who would be somebody that off the beaten path that you might think a player of the year? Again, I, I went that way, but I, I can go even better. So we can play this game. <laughs> go ahead. Somebody else. Colin, Cam, if you want to go first. So if you want to talk about Dark Horse, I'm going to go to a team that really caught some fire last year and was a surprise. And I'm going to take Diego Pavia to take a jump in year two or is this year two or year three as a starter? I can't remember, but regardless the improvement that he made, the way that he ripped apart Liberty at the end of the year last year, um, he's going to be a really good player. Yeah, no, that's a very he's solid. He's like a kick. six year senior or something like that. He's been around. Yeah. yeah. He's been around for a minute for sure, but I'm actually going to go with, Gavin Hardison of UTEP. Um, as well, the biggest thing that did him in last year was he got hurt a time or two. And as long as he stays healthy, I think he could easily put up some numbers. Um, even if UTEP does struggle on the field, 
Um, I, I do think that Gavin Hardison's got a chance as a dark horse type of candidate at that, at that trophy. Well, I guess I'll just Gavin Hardison was my pick as well. Um, mm-hmm. I like what he brings to the table. I think that unfortunately he doesn't have any returning starters at wide receiver, which is a big kind of a bigger hit, but I think it'd be good. Another guy I was going to think of and, and, it's weird to say this, but I think because of the discrepancy and the disparity in talent, I can say this and have confidence in saying that Hank Bachmeyer might be a guy that, that could kind of have a, a really good year in Conference USA. He's got a plenty, forgot, a he, plentiful number. He transferred in. <laughs> a plentiful number of wide receivers um, returning this year. It's, it's an experienced room at least. I don't know that that really buys anything, but again, I don't know that I really love the talent fulfilling this conference at the moment either. So it's kind of where I'm at. Um, We're talking about teams with the best chance at a New Year's Six. I think this is going to be extremely one-sided. Western Kentucky. 100% Western Kentucky just because of the way that their schedule sets up. Like, they're really the only one who's – realistically got a chance. Colin, you want to try to argue anyone else? I mean, you really can't because Liberty Liberty is probably going to have a better record than Western Kentucky at the end of the day, but they don't play anybody. And then does anybody else catch lightning in a bottle? The answer is probably no. So I guess Western Kentucky is the best chance out of this league. Yeah, I'm looking at everybody's opponents, I guess. Sam Houston would need to win well, Sam every Houston game with their schedule, but they can What a stupid rule, man. I, I wish they'd just get rid of it. Uh, yeah, Western Kentucky, uh, easily. I think if they – because if you think about it, they don't have to beat Ohio State to even do it. If they beat Troy <laughs> at Troy, you're beating another potential New Year's Six contender as it is because Troy is expecting to have a similar year to last year in the Sun Belt. So – I mean, beating another potential conference champion could be pretty pretty big for the conference and your schedule as a whole. Um, but, yeah, that's a tough one. I don't know. That's yeah. pretty much it. If you had to pick a Dark Horse team to win the conference championship, of course, there are only a handful of teams who are even capable of doing so. Um, who would it be? So that means not Western Kentucky or Liberty is the only two that I'm going to say are obvious. Cam. I think I might have the most radical take here. New Mexico State. Um, they return a lot from a very solid team last year. Um, they recruited really well, especially in the transfer portal this past offseason. And Jerry Kill's a hell of a coach. Like, New Mexico State might is in my mind anyways that third team there they've got a lighter schedule as well so that that's the team that comes to my mind Colin so I've made some changes ever since I made that conference USA video and I know I said I wouldn't make any changes to any of my YouTube videos but when when it comes to this there's just I mean it's kind of a mess Mm-hmm. But the one I'm going with, and I, I'd hate to steal yours, Tyler, it's UTEP. 
And schedule dynamics is a huge part about it, right? They play Jacksonville State Week Zero, which is going to be fun to see an FBS game in a brand-new FBS stadium as far as, you know, welcoming in a home FBS game for Jacksonville State in Week Zero. But then you take a look at their their home games, or rather what they don't get on the road, because everybody plays everybody. UTEP plays New Mexico State at home. UTEP plays Western Kentucky at home. UTEP plays Liberty at home. And then Middle Tennessee is probably next up there. And, oh, yeah, they get them off the bye. They have to go to Sam Houston right after NMSU. That's a tough back-to-back to back when you include Western Kentucky after that. So you do have a three-game stretch there, but they can lose two of those three games and still limp their way into the conference championship game. You didn't really steal mine. Um to be honest, I, I was going to go Louisiana Tech. Um, the amount of returning production they have is unmatched in this conference. They have, um, and again, I don't have the percentages, so I'm sorry. I like percentages more than numbers when it comes to returning production. But they do have seven returning offensive players, and they bring in Hank Bachmeyer, who I just talked about. And then they have six returning defensive players, and the ones they are replacing are mostly upperclassmen. They're corners. Their nickel and their actual corner are both – expected to be sophomores, but they do have Cedric Woods, who was a starter at corner last year, who's a junior, who would I think will probably be a corner this year. I just, again, going off of this depth chart, it's hard to say. I just, I think they have a an interesting path. Their toughest game for them at in conference play is probably their road game against Liberty. They get Western Kentucky at home, which again I don't really I don't count much for home field advantage in this conference. They return seventy two percent, by the way. Seventy two percent, yeah. Top twenty five, anyways. Um, I just I like where they're at. I, I really do. I think this is a somewhat improving program. Sonny Cumbie is going to have a chance to really show what he's capable of doing and building a program. I mean, and that's going to be it's good. It, it's going to be. Cool to watch. He was three and nine last year. I, I would say there's probably going to be a lot, a lot better than last year. They had a lot of tough, close losses. I mean, they're they're looking at all of their losses. The majority of them, other than like UTSA and Missouri, Clemson and South Alabama, of course, they're non-conference games. But their conference games, their closest losses, all their losses were. A possession or fewer for the most part. So that I, I, can see, I can see a turnaround with the experience coming back at least. Yeah. That's the one reason I pumped the brakes there with Law Tech. Like I'm not completely sold on Cumby as a head coach. I don't I, I don't know that you have to be with the majority so, of this conference is coaching. I, this isn't the SEC where oh, like no, I said I'm for Zach Arnett. Yeah. This isn't the SEC where you got to really know what you're doing as a head coach and, and jumping in as your first job at an SEC school is, is going to be probably the toughest thing you ever do in your life. This is this is a conference for developing coaches, <laughs> if you think about it that way. I mean, this is not – if you're making a career here, well, then you probably aren't capable of doing it anywhere else, if I'm being honest. So that's – just truthfully the fact of the matter. So I think that yeah, no, Cumbie, I, I don't know that he'll be, I don't know that he'll ever be a great coach. 
but I don't think he needs to be a great coach to win games in this conference. I think you just need – I think you need a talent disparity in this conference to really be good, which is why Western Kentucky is so good, and they also have a good coach. But I'll leave that before I – Yeah, I mean, he definitely had a solid uh, run at TCU and Texas Tech as an offensive mm-hmm. coordinator. Did mm-hmm. a decent job steadying the ship when Texas Tech fired Matt Wells – yeah, I thought he was a really good bridge to finish that year. Truthfully. Yeah, it, it was good, and it was you know helpful to Joey McGuire and what he was able mm-hmm. to build. And there's a reason why Louisiana Tech hired him. He they struggled last year. They're going to be better this year. I'm not sure if I really would put them up towards the title contention, but they could be a fringe bowl team for sure, especially with how their schedule. Mm-hmm stacks up like you talk about Mm -hmm. i don't like the fact that they have back-to-back road trips against nebraska and then utep because utep on a friday night short week having to make that travel from the midwest down there to el paso that's a little bit tough for me also having to play at liberty right after a physical game win or lose against new mexico state that's Mm -hmm. also tough for me too so absolutely yeah there's a reason the dark horse is in front of it, but yes. it's all good. I, I, it's hard. You know, you want to be different, especially here, because I don't know that oh, the differences yeah, no. are going to stay the same. And, you know, we're not going to have these same conversations in the power five. Correct. So, yeah, it's cool to just have to have the different thought processes here, because I think this is where we're going to have the most disparity in all of our picks for the most part. Maybe. So with all of that. I, I really don't see anybody having a different pick, but your conference championship pick. Anybody? I I'm one of the people who has Western Kentucky. Well, against two. Again against Liberty. I have Western Kentucky winning the conference, beating UTEP. I think that this uh, second spot is going to come down to that final game between UTEP and Liberty. Liberty last year struggled in the front seven. They got dominated against New Mexico State. They struggled as well just on defense. And I think it's a little bit of a rebuild on defense. Uh, This is, again, like I said, a change. I just assumed Liberty was going to come in here and run the – run the conference right and only be them in western kentucky at the top there's going to be teams that liberty struggles to stop they play new mexico state week two do they do the same thing to new mexico state that new mex or to liberty that new mexico state did last year how are they going to be able to stop the pass game of western kentucky at western kentucky on a tuesday night following a game against mtsu they play louisiana tech right after that Liberty to me is going to be a really good team. They're probably I, I got them at nine and three, five and three in conference, winning all their out of conference games. But UTEP, on the other hand, though I have them losing three of four games out of conference, I think that this UTEP team is going to get better as the season goes on. And having an experienced quarterback with two bye weeks, including a late bye week, to get them set for that MTSU and Liberty. Uh, back-to-back to try to get their ticket to the CUSA championship. UTEP's a little bit dangerous with one of the best coaches, if not the best coach in the entire conference. Jamie Chadwell's the only other one I'd consider. Yeah, I was right, going to well, say. It's funny. I did not expect an agreement with either of you. I got one. Western Kentucky over UTEP. And for the same reasons you just said, and look, Jamie Chadwell's a great head coach, but this team returns – very little 
from last year. They're very young, very inexperienced. And while I think the offense will be very easy to mold into what he does with that triple option spread out style that he likes to run so much, I think it's going to work. And I don't know whether it's going to be Jonathan Bennett or Caden Salter. I would expect Salter, but I don't really know. Yeah, I did too. Um, because, again, this has Jonathan Bennett, but I don't always agree with this depth chart. I think this depth chart can get a little weird at times. Nonetheless, even if it is Caden Soldier has starting experience, but they have two returning starters from 2022 on offense and three on defense. That's just not that's not enough in this scenario because usually in the G5 conferences, teams with experience win. And again, Louisiana Tech's a team that I think may end up being a little better than them. UTEP is a team that has the experience and a very good quarterback who's proven to be good. Gavin Hardison has never given me a reason to say he's not good. He's the team has given me plenty of reasons to say they're not good at times, but Gavin Hardison's never given me a reason to say, yeah, that, that he's not a good quarterback. He's very solid for a group of five quarterback. And so much like you, Colin, I am all I'm all in on UTEP. I really am. I think they're gonna have an extremely good year. I think their non conference schedule bites them super hard. Um in terms of that potential for a new year's because i don't think it's just cut and dry you know i think the mountain west or the american is going to get to that new year's six game but you know i is there really a chance i mean if none of them are ranked if they're if none of them are ranked nobody goes right we've never seen it but i don't know what that rule is i don't think so i think they're going to rank somebody just i mean they they probably have to for fun right but yeah i think it would be mountain west Personally, I, I don't think anybody in Sunbelt this conference Sunbelt, really gets close. I just don't know that Sunbelt's deep enough. We we I, had I think, a conversation to be had about about them in the future. Make sure you tune into that because Sunbelt's going to be a really fun video. Sunbelt's so next. West. Yeah, Sunbelt's next Wednesday. So oh, if yeah. if you want to know what we've got to say about Sunbelt, it's it's Wednesday, and let me tell you, I've got a lot of takes. Okay, I've had to follow the Sunbelt for the last three years of my life, thanks to the most amazing woman I've ever met, but I've had to follow the Sun Belt for three years watching App State football. Don't make jokes. I don't need to hear them. Um, and it has it has been really fun. I, I've enjoyed getting to pay attention and watch it. I think it's one of the most fun conferences. I mean, obviously, it's oh, nicknamed yeah. the Fun Belt the for fun a reason. Belt. But... There's there's some turnover happening in that conference, and it's going to be really interesting to see who comes out on top of it. But all that is for Wednesday. Um, anything else? Any last thoughts on the Commerce USA? I mean, I don't really have anything else for myself. But there's a there there's a few teams here that are going to compete at the top, and they got some honestly, midweek. They're midweek stuff. Yeah. Their midweek yeah, slate's interesting. Yeah, and honestly, Sun Belt, I mean, Conference USA typically is a fun conference to follow. Um, as mentioned before, I'm from the El Paso area, so I've seen quite a few UTEP games. And they Conference USA is definitely a blast. It's one of those fun group of five conferences because it, it does tend to implode in cannibalize itself so like we'll see if that trend continues to happen or if 
Western Kentucky just comes in and slaps everyone around. Like, I, I'm excited for it. I'm going to have some fun for sure watching this conference as it is new. Um, mm-hmm. Watching specifically Sam Houston because I do think mm-hmm. they're the better of the two. I have Sam Houston right around the six and six, seven and five mark. Jacksonville State, I can see struggling, but they, they were a pretty good team last year. They were uh, better than the year before mm-hmm. that beat Florida State, albeit not the oh, same yeah. Florida State that they are now, but they still beat Florida State on that magical Hail Mary on, on in, in Tallahassee. So, as a fan of South Carolina, it's a scary game <laughs> as a group of five. Like, it's one that you don't just want to walk in and be like, oh, yeah, here, we're here. You know, we showed up at least now. Like, it, you can't do what you did with Georgia state last year, for example, and, and walk away without looking like shit. So no, mm-hmm. pardon the language, but I mean, Georgia truthfully. state is fun, <laughs> fun situation at Georgia state right now. There's a lot of, there's a lot of fun. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. But with all that said, we'll see you guys on Wednesday with another episode of the lowdown CFB.